Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Kat Rotapuli. This year's Munich Security Conference between US and European allies was marked by sharp disagreements on issues such as arms control, Syria and Iran. At the end of the conference, Michael Peel, our Brussels diplomatic correspondent, sat down with Guy Shazan, Berlin bureau chief, and David Bond, defence and security editor, to discuss their impressions. We are sitting here in front of the Bayerischerhof Hotel, where the security conference, which is now more than 50 years old, has just ended. This is a conference, Guy, that took place in a context of transatlantic tensions. It brings together heads of government and state, uh, military chiefs and spies. We had the US Vice President, the German Chancellor speaking, and obviously they gave very contrasting views of the world, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Merkel's speech was quite an extraordinary performance, for her anyway. She gave a very spirited defence of Germany's actions and Germany's policies in the face of a relentless barrage of criticism from the Trump administration over the past few months. And it was also a plea for multilateral institutions, which have come under so much pressure, as she put it, since Trump became president. But there are also quite a few sort of barbs towards Trump. I mean, for example, one of the things that really caught my eye was when she was talking about this Commerce Department investigation of whether European cars represented a threat to America's national security. And she says, how can, how can our cars be a threat to your security? You know, most of them we actually produce in the United States, in South Carolina. So these are American cars, essentially. That got a lot of laughter in the audience. But essentially, she was criticizing a lot of sort of American initiatives of the recent months, including America's withdrawal from the JCPOA, the Iranian nuclear deal, Trump's decision to withdraw his troops from Syria, the talk recently about withdrawing troops from Afghanistan as well. All of this speech basically served to highlight just how deep the divisions are now between America and its Western allies. You mentioned Syria and Afghanistan. We're sitting in front of the conference hotel with all the security literally being dismantled behind us. You can probably hear the drilling and, and movement behind. David, some would say that this is actually a metaphor for uh, the fragmentation of international security. What have you picked up of the disputes in your field? Well, it was quite interesting interviewing Jens Stoltenberg, the head of NATO, and we asked him to kind of sum up the mood from the conference over the last two and a half days. And, you know, the words he used were things like uncertainty, fragmentation. And, you know, I think that's generally been the gloomy mood here, despite the sun being out and it being very spring-like here in Munich. It has been rather gloomy. And I think one of the big concerns has been how do allies now deal with the withdrawal of US troops from Syria, uh, repeatedly told here that the ISIS caliphate is decimated, is defeated, is down to two kilometres of territory. And of course, the US wants to withdraw its 2,000 troops, but who should fill the vacuum? So there's been quite a big tension here between the US, who thinks perhaps European allies or perhaps even Arab nations should step in and fill that gap, have a stabilisation force. But of course, as one European official put it to me, no one wants to be the tethered goat. 
Another area of transatlantic tension guide that's loomed very large in the run-up to this meeting and at it is the pull-out of the US and Russia from the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, a key Cold War treaty that stopped the deployment on both sides of ballistic missiles, which was a great European security threat in the 1980s. What did we learn at this conference about how people in Europe, Germany and elsewhere are feeling about the demise of the INF and how people are looking at the future of arms control generally? Is there any kind of optimism there or is it a pretty bleak outlook? I think that was actually one of my abiding impressions of this conference was the fact that there is deep pessimism now about the future of the arms control architecture globally and Merkel herself said that the US and Russian decision to withdraw from the INF treaty was very bad news for Europe. She said this was a treaty that was negotiated between the Soviet Union and the US but it basically concerned Europe, it concerned Europe's security and now those two countries have decided to pull out and as she put it Europe is left just sitting there helplessly so this is a serious problem and there was a real sense of gloom about the next treaty which is on everyone's minds which is New START another big arms control treaty which is due to expire in 2021 and there was a sense that there's nothing to replace it with so essentially when that expires or as the Russian deputy foreign minister says when that just fades away because no one has any interest in extending it then Europe will be left with no major arms control treaty left and that I think is a major concern to Western powers at the moment. I mean what no one can know yet is whether this is just more Trump brinkmanship and actually a bit like he says with North Korea that this kind of hardline approach will actually bring around some kind of new agreement of course one of the big bones of contention is China and how do you bring China into this INF treaty or do you have a new treaty which somehow acts as a check against their own ambitions as well. Merkel actually brought that point up as well. She said we have to try and revive the INF treaty but to do that we have to bring in the Chinese although she admitted the Chinese themselves might have some reservations about that. They've shown no willingness so far to engage in these sort of international arms control negotiations. David, another theme that played very much into the broader point about security fragmentation was Brexit. You had UK officials led by Defence Secretary Gavin Williamson here very much trying to demonstrate that the UK would be relevant in international security if the UK leaves the EU as anticipated next month. What were your takeaways from that? Did you find these efforts convincing? How did you feel people reacted to them? Well, first of all, what I thought was really interesting was in contrast to last year, and Guy will remember this as well being here with me, that where Brexit dominated, we had a big keynote speech from Theresa May. It was all about trying to reassure the EU about post-Brexit defence and security cooperation. It was almost completely absent from all of the main conference sort of debates, but it was still hanging heavy in the air. And Gavin Williamson came here for the first time as Defence Secretary to the Munich conference and gave a very, very forward-leaning speech, I think you would say, attacking mainly Russia and accusing them of having blood on their hands and all sorts of breaches of the INF Treaty and not conforming to international borders and not respecting sovereignty. And this is clearly part of a strategy that Williamson has. I don't know if it's got the full backing of uh, Prime Minister May or, or other members of the Cabinet, but to try and you know, sort of give Britain a sense of purpose, sense of direction, military purpose after Brexit. Um, he's already talked about sort of new bases in the, in the Far East, uh, uh, military bases in the Far East. And so there is a sort of sense of, you know, Brexit 
doesn't mean the end of Britain's influence as a military power. But of course, many people back at home will think, well, hang on, you know, we've got problems with the defence budget. How on earth are we going to afford to do all that? And is it really sensible for him to be sabre-rattling in this way? And of course, Sergei Lavrov responded the next day by jokingly referring to him as the Minister of War, which drew quite a few uh, laughs from the audience. Another theme that struck me was, Guy, that there were really two Americas on display at this conference. You had Vice President Mike Pence winding up a tour of US officials throughout Europe. They've been in Brussels, they've been in Warsaw, delivering a very tough message that Europe doesn't just have to live with US policy and, and unilateralism and all the rest of it, but actually needs to join in on the Iran nuclear deal, the Chinese cybersecurity threat, and Venezuela to pick just three points. And then on the other hand, you had former Vice Vice President Joe Biden, a big congressional delegation, including House uh, Representative Speaker Nancy Pelosi. How did that look to your contacts, people you were talking to here? Do you sense that that was something they picked up on and how did they see it? Yeah, I mean, actually, we've painted a very dark picture of this conference, but I think in a way that was a big ray of hope for a lot of the participants was the fact that there was this very big congressional delegation, which included a lot of Democrats and people like Nancy Pelosi presented a much different view of the future of the transatlantic relationship and I think that was incredibly encouraging. I think that was sort of seen as a bit of a ray of hope that as one German delegate here told me there seemed to be a much broader spectrum of opinion on the US side than there has been in the past or certainly than there was last year. This whole conference was framed as in this troubling international security environment who will pick up the pieces? David are we anywhere near answering that question? I don't think so. I think, if anything, the conference has left us with more questions than answers. I think one of the panellists said that, you know, uh, I hear lots of people pointing out problems, I don't hear any solutions, and then was immediately asked, well, you know, I think it was in the Syria debate, well, what's your solution? Didn't have an answer. And there is a danger, I think, here, that, you know, we're all talking ourselves into a real international crisis. And Guy, a final word. This conference that was started in the 1960s as a, a celebration of transatlantic unity has now turned into something rather darker. Is this conference still relevant? Can it be revived in a way that we can get to some of these answers that David was just referring to? Well, I spoke to one delegate who said that the way that the Munich Security Conference used to work was that it wasn't really so much important what was going on on the stage, but it was what was happening in the Warren-like rooms and corridors in the Bayerische Hof. And it was an occasion for the plumbers to get together in these dark rooms and fix the world's problems. This is actually what was happening in, in Munich in previous years, especially, for example, he cited the example of 2014 and the Ukraine crisis. The Crimea was then the big flashpoint, and people would get into these rooms and they would figure these things out and actually fix international crises or try to. And he said that that just wasn't happening this year. And that is the scary thing, is that there's no interest on the US side and maybe not even on the European side to get together in those rooms in the Bayerische Hof and actually figure these things out. They seem to have come without their toolbox this year because they literally haven't a clue how to fix the crises. I agree with David, that was the overwhelming impression you had of this conference this year, is that they've diagnosed the crises, but they have no answers and no solutions. That was Michael Peel, Brussels diplomatic correspondent, talking to Guy Shazan, Berlin bureau chief, and David Bond, defence and security editor. We'll be back with another news feature tomorrow. In the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, do take a look at our latest subscription offer at ft.com offer.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You know that project you've been working on, just chipping away at it, dreaming of the day you get to show it off? Then, when you're least expecting it, cancer. And finishing that project actually happens. I would know. I've been restoring this car for years, and today I'm giving it to my granddaughter. It's her 16th birthday and two years since my cancer diagnosis. Mom, you finished it? Happy birthday, boo-boo. You keep making plans. Visit OhioHealth.com slash keep making plans to learn more.